HavanaDeprived.com is proud to present Top 8 Magic Podcast with Michael J. Flores and Brian David Marshall. Brought to your ears thanks to FaceToFaceGames.com. All right, I figure we'll call this one Baby It's Cold Outside. I mean, I'd rather not, but okay. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you that we're not going to call it Baby It's Cold Outside and then just send it to Kyle and say that it's called Baby It's Cold Outside. That seems apropos. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, what, if I, what if I put up a little struggle? <laughs> that would be really apropos. A very little amount of struggle. So, I think we should put it the show that Selma Blair and who's the guy from The Office? It's in Rain, Rain Wilson. Wilson. You like that? that? That was pretty amazing. That was good, right? So, well... I'm a, I'm a big Selma Blair fan. Yeah. Uh, if you, uh... If you don't know what we're talking about, it's in the show notes. Uh, so I went to a rock and roll concert this weekend, and by rock and roll, I, I use that term pretty loosely. It was Amy Mann and Friends, and uh, it was it actually ended up being a Christmas concert. Okay. And when they got to Baby It's Cold Outside, she called it like uh, Christmas Carol. Why'd she sing it then? They changed the lyrics. I mean, it was, like, pretty tongue-in-cheek performance. So, um, they just, like, did two or three Christmas carols, and then Susanna Hoffs came out and played uh, Hazy Shade of Winter. Oh, nice. And then left, and then came out, like, a few songs later and played Eternal Flame. I mean, every single time Susanna Hoffs entered the battlefield, like, the place went insane. Great. Like, I think they must just keep Susanna Hoffs in, like, a a little carrying case, and then just whenever they go on tour, they just, like, unleash her for, like... Hazy Shade of Winter, Eternal Flame, and then she did she did a Hanukkah-themed Walk Like an Egyptian, but then she could use, like, a regular Walk Like an Egyptian, and it, they, you, you just get, like, a standing ovation every According single time. According to Rupert Murdoch, that would just be Walk Like a White Person, right? Rupert Murdoch? You didn't see that whole no, thing? I, I'm, first of all, I'm, without delving too much into, like, racial politics, I did read the I re- did read the interview that Ridley Scott did. Oh, well, this is it's along the same line. Rupert, Rupert Murdoch's the head of the studio yeah. that released the film, and he's, like, every and he's known to have, like, Donald Sterling Mencha. Oh, yeah? You know, and he's like, every white person, every Egyptian I know is a white person. And they're like, what? And he's like, yeah, they owned slaves. Obviously, they were white people. <laughs> what? Uh, well, oh, good, good thing you're in charge of, like, influencing the hearts and minds of the world through I mean, your he, publications. I mean, he owns all these major newspapers and stuff, right? But uh, Ridley Scott was did an interview, and he said, look, this is a... This is an epic movie of tr- tremendous scope and sweep and stuff. He says, so if I had cast Mohammed so-and-so in the lead, I wouldn't have gotten it funded. And the reality is, maybe that's true. But no, maybe no, maybe he could have found a nicer way of saying yeah, yeah, that, yeah. right? Uh, but anyway, uh, it's actually not that cold outside. We are outside, and yeah. I'm drinking an iced tea. You're crazy. I, that's... What does that have to do with So anything? maybe it's cold outside? <laughs> maybe it's cold outside. High five. Ah! So, anyway, um, did you read that Batgirl comic I sent I didn't. you? What kind of person are you? I'm a horrible person. I'm history's greatest monster. It's well established. I thought that Tom Martell was history's greatest monster. <laughs> I think I thought this was very well established. I think history's greatest monster is a liberally, liberally applied term to anyone who does anything you don't like on any given day. So, uh, as with our new feature in this podcast, and by new I mean we haven't done a podcast in like a month yeah, that we've yeah, done it's it all once. New. <laughs> I'm going to make a comic recommendation. The comic recommendation I'm going to make is Batgirl Adventures number one. Okay. Oh, wouldn't be the Top 8 Magic Podcast. Oh, wait a second. Arrgh.
Come on, Megan. He really just start his bike and then walk away. Yeah, no, he really did. Oh my god, this really, this is like. <laughs> He's literally stuck like a toe. I don't know why it didn't occur to me sooner. We can't just pause. No. No? No. We're just going to keep going. All right. He really just started his bike. Yeah, he's, he's warming it up. It's not a car. It doesn't get warmer inside. There is no inside. It's a motorcycle. It's, it's the opposite he's of frosting. It's not even frosty. This is unreal. <laughs> Literally started a fight. What would Jackson Teller say about this? I got this. I, I, he would say, I got this. Well, that would be, that's what Opie said. Yeah. Well, it's not everyone. Yeah, so. I can't believe, I can't, dear Canadian listeners, I blame Canada. That's what Cartman says. He's struggling with his zipper now. Like this is literally unreal. And then, I, wait, and then he has a layer of buttons. There's a flap of buttons. <laughs> On the other side is so a he's zipper. He's not Amish, right? Because buttons are too ostentatious no, no, for the Amish. zipper than buttons. Now he's giving us a nasty look. I can't believe this. He's getting his little satchel. Yeah. Okay. He's putting on his satchel. And fastening things to the handlebars. This is crazy. Oh, he's putting his guy. He's he's applying his knapsack now. Um, maybe I'll edit this out. I won't, but I'm gonna say that I. Yeah, might. yeah. Well, at least at least not in that direction. Yeah. Like give much. someone listening to it some hope. Like, oh, maybe they'll edit. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> it's, it's too late. It's too late. <laughs> I've already been fooled. <laughs> I can't. Why does he get on the bike and go? Yeah, he's very meticulous. He's got a whole process. <laughs> Not, it's not the destination, it's the process or something. The Sons of Anarchy would have never won a car chase if they acted this way. No, that's true. Not even one time. You could argue that ultimately they didn't win any car chases, but they won some chases. I meant they won some chases. They chased down their, their quarry quite effectively. It's not metaphorically, you know what I mean. Oh my god, this is literally unreal. <laughs> He's just like crimping in front of a shaving mirror right now. <laughs> do you, I mean, you grew up in Cleveland, right? I did. Do you, do you remember the baseball player Mike Hargrove? Yeah. The human rain delay? I don't remember. So, like, he would he would come up to the plate, and in between every pitch, he would adjust his batting gloves in between every finger. He would pull them on the back. Did that, he like, would, tilt the batter, though? It, it would, he, was, he was the batter. It tilted the oh, pitchers. Oh, he tilted the pitch. Yeah, he was called the human rain delay. He's on the bike. Why is he going? This is crazy. He's just, I don't know what he's waiting for. Maybe for us to not have this podcast. <laughs> uh, come on, biking guy. So anyway, tell right, us about your comment. Okay. So, so Batgirl Adventures number one. It's a comic. I believe it was published around Christmas time in 1997. That's why I wanted to do this. It's like a Christmas Sure themed comic book and the cover is done done by bruce tim yeah so i'm like oh it's a bruce tim comic it's a filthy lie it's not rick burchett uh did the interiors who i think is who, by the way i think is terrific yeah, yeah he's good but yeah. um and it's so right. he, he he straddles somewhere between an alex toth style and a bruce tim style oh, i think he's much more bruce tim than alex toth He's, 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 I believe, cited, like, Alex Toth as a huge... As being an influence, but, like, I can say that Alex Toth is a huge influence. Yeah. Um, but... I was waiting for you to say that. Oh, yeah, I mean... 
any sentence I can cram, I could into is a is you know a, a friendly a friendly port. Anyway, um, and in 1997, I would have probably said this is the most perfect single comic book I ever read. Okay, um, I think it's very good. I haven't read it. Is written by Paul Denny. Yep. So the cover's by Bruce Tim. Uh, written by Paul Denny. For those of you who don't know, Bruce Tim and Paul Denny were the co-creators of a little something called Batman the Animated Series, which was very popular in the 1990s. Uh, and it's a story of um, Harley Quinn and Batgirl doing a caper. Oh, you know what? I've actually read this. It's good, right? I read it years ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I've actually read it. It is very good. And, uh, but there's this, there's this scene with a... Uh, an averted, an averted uh, traffic accident. And Brian K. Vaughn said to me that he wished that he could someday write well enough to write this, this silent scene of an averted car crash. So, I think silent scenes are the hallmark of like the Paul Dini, Bruce Tim. Like, I mean, for for me, Mad Love is actually the perfect superhero comic or supervillain comic. Super villain comic. A super villain comic, if you want, but like. To me, to me, it's absolutely without flaw. It's it's just to me just utterly amazing. I, I've like handed that comic to people who don't like superhero comics, and they've said, "If only superhero comics were like this when I was a kid, I would have read superhero comics." I think Mad Love is a little uneven. <sighs> I mean, you once told me that you, your objection to Pulp Fiction is that you think it's a little uneven. I do. Yes. So. I mean, I would still rate Mad Love five stars, probably, but I think it's... Out of? Five stars. Okay, I'm just checking. But maybe four, you're, you're four and three quarters You were using stars. a ten scale earlier when we were talking about comics. I, I, I'd have to reread both of them. I actually think I own multiple physical copies of both of them. Yeah. But, um, I mean, Mad Love is obviously one of the most famous single comic books ever printed, right? I... I I would guess there have been more copies of Mad Love sold than copies of The Killing Joke. Do you think that that's accurate? I don't think that's accurate, but... I mean, the thing is, Mad Love got a lot of mainstream media so push. So did Killing Joke. Killing Joke has stayed, stayed in print since since it was published. Mad Love hasn't? I don't know. I mean, granted, Killing Joke's been 10 years longer than Mad yeah, Love, Yeah, right? I, I don't, so I don't think so. I mean, I think, it's, I think it's interesting that something that's, you know, a much more straightforward, traditional comic, you know, like, has all the trappings of... You know, a very like mainstream comic has sort of is even in the same conversation with something like Killing so, Joke. You think I actually just thought about my age for a second? I think of Killing Joke as being much older than Mad Love, right? Right. Well, you're really talking about 1987 versus 1997. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's not that long difference. No, no. And wow, I mean, like it's like you know, relative to now, they're both decades yeah. ago at this yeah, point. Yeah, no, it's it's fascinating. Like, I mean, I have conversations with people about like magic and comics and who are you know outside of the realm of magic and comics all yeah. the time and uh it's kind of amazing to me because i'll always invariably reference killing joke watchman year one you know i mean your opinion year one is the greatest of those three right yeah if you weren't friends with dave mazzichelli would that still be your opinion uh yes I went out of my way to become friendly with dave mazzichelli because, because of, of my love for that comic it's a good comic do you think that Year One is substantially better than Born Again? Yes. Same creative team. Yes. Born Again is very good. Born Again is very good. I think it's substantially better. Um, like, like I think that that basically. By the way, I agree. I think. Yeah, I but, think that Year One is very. Like good. they took the, their their Year One has come along and just like 
completely paved over all other Batman origin stories. I, th- I think that it's unambiguous that Year One is the greatest Batman story ever written. And illustrated, right? You know, for that matter, right? So it's, uh, I can't even... Forget about written. I can't even think of it as a better illustrated Batman story. Yeah, right? yeah, forget yeah. about how good the, it could be. Like a, an idiotic story would still be the best yeah. Batman story ever illustrated. Um, but I mean, in terms of a work of art, yeah, it's. I think it's the best Batman story written or illustrated or written and illustrated. But I don't think that it's better than Watchmen. Okay, that's my. Opinion. Um, yeah. But it's funny. It's funny. I was having a conversation with someone the other day about like <laughs> magic as something from the 90s, right? Like, mm-hmm. same thing when we're talking about these comics from the 90s. Well, or in the, some all cases, these are 80s some comics. Some of these, some of these being in the 80s. But I, mean, I was saying before the that, yeah. comics. And, uh, and this guy was just like, he's in neuroscience. Yeah. Right? He's like doing, like, kickstarting some, like, crazy brain interface. Like, yeah. Really, like, some insane project. Awesome. Super, super smart guy. I used to play Magic. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, I played Magic. You know, you know, back, you know, blah, blah, blah. No, I was never really into it, though. You know, whatever. I mean, I liked it. And then so, then he's like, talk, turns to me and Matt, because Matt and I were at the lunch with him, and he's like, so how did you guys meet? And Matt's like, oh, you know, I played at Brian's first, or BDM's first Magic tournament. And uh, he's like, who won that anyway? I'm like, oh, that guy saw one with a mono red deck. And the guy, and then the, the guy is like, oh, mono red, fire blast you, yeah. <laughs> lightning bolt you. So these things are etched onto his spine. Yeah, he's like, he oh, really he's like, oh, I just want to go burn elves now. He's like, I just want to burn some elves. Like, he just went right into I mono mean, red mode. Clicked on his limbic system, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, it was insane. Fight, fight or incinerate. <laughs> <laughs> it was so insane. So, uh,. Yeah, that, that's... I, I was just thinking about some stuff this week because Kobe Bryant just eclipsed Michael Jordan's all-time scoring. Sure. Sort and, of. No, in terms of total in point out, total but it's, po- yeah, it's, 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 it's unambiguous. I mean, but then you have all, like, the propeller heads like me who come out and it's, say... It's super ambiguous. I've, there's, I've there's, watched a lot of sports television today. Let me tell you, there's, it's super uh, ambiguous. There's no legitimate vector in which Kobe Bryant's actually better than Michael. He's not better than him at anything, right? right? Except for longevity, right? So he's played more seasons than Michael right, played. Yeah. You know, Michael also put more, put way more college years than Kobe did because right. Kobe put none in, right? right? So, you know, LeBron James, for example, has already played... Uh, more minutes of basketball than Larry Bird's entire career, wow. you know, and he's not even That's 30 crazy. yet. So That's crazy. Yeah, so uh, the, the uh, and people, you know, thought of Larry Bird potentially as the greatest of all time, and you know, that people say that. I, mean, yeah. I don't think he probably was. But, um, you know, and, and then, you know, I, I just go into this cynical mode, and I'm like, yeah, Kobe stinks. Michael's just so much better. You know? And I thought about this for a second, and I'm like, as time progresses, don't we want things to be better? Right? It shouldn't be like we're stagnated in the past and be like, well, there's never going to be a better shooting guard than Michael Jordan, and there's never going to be a better article than who's the beatdown, and there's never going to be a better, you know, whatever it is. Sure. You know, um, uh, whatever. I, I think that we should aspire that things get better. And I was really struck by this because, you know, Willie, Top 8 Magic's number two fan after, after Reese. Yeah. Willie says, oh, what, what Flash comics should I read? And th- I think that was precipitated by probably the Flash TV show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Which has been awesome. Don't let me put words in your mouth, Willie. But I would guess that, that yeah, yeah. your sudden interest in the speedy Barry Allen comes from yeah. comes from uh, Flash being on TV. And I said, you know, 
90s Mark Wade Mike Ringo is like where I just went straight to it. I mean, I, I actually, if you ask me what is the perfect superhero comics, I would say 90s, 90s Flash. I certainly love Warring. Uh, but you went to Carmine Infantino. Yeah. And I was just like, like, I mean, Wade know, Ringo was so much better than Carmine the, Infantino. I mean, like, it's, it's not the same thing. Like, Ring, Ringo is great, but he's just doing stuff that's all been done before. Like, like the, the whole idea of, like, the Infantino Flash stuff, which yeah. just, like, invents, like, you know, all the Earth, you know... Earth, Earth 1, Earth and 2. Like, and just, like, the, the, you know, the reverse Flash and all that crazy stuff. And just, like, this unrepentantly silly, crazy superheroes yeah. that they're so successfully porting into this modern era on yep. Flash TV show, right? They Sil- don't care. Sil- Silver Age stuff is Silver Age stuff, yeah. They're doing Captain Boomerang and Captain Cold and so- Weather Wizard and <laughs> Rainbow Rider. So- like, some really bad superheroes. <laughs> villains. villains. Those are rogues. So you think that the, the groundbreaking Gorilla Grodd, my favorite. Gorilla Grodd's on the Flash TV show? You didn't see it? I have not watched any Flash TV show. Oh, are you kidding I'm going to binge it. Okay. In the first, so I'm trying to watch just, all the there's arrows. Just a, there's just a little um, There's just a little throwaway of yeah. it when they show, like, you've watched Arrows, you know, the wreckage of stuff, you know, Star Labs got. No, I, I'm only in season one of Arrows. So I, I watch oh. Arrow 100% with my kids. Okay. So I don't want to get ahead of them. So yeah. they, they can maybe watch, like, one or two episodes a week, right? They don't yeah. sit there and binge TV like a grown-up yeah. would. Uh, and... So what I want to do is I want to watch all of Arrow really? season one, season two. This I don't care. I mean, I I watch like current season Arrow stuff. I just like flip on what's on Hulu. I, I really don't care that much. I'll be honest with you. I know more about what's going on in shows that I haven't seen okay. than almost every viewer. Right? You, you so, watch. You watch the. I mean, you know, like I know who's dead. Arrow and High and Rajal Ghul Highlandering it out. Oh, I didn't know about that. Who <laughs> died in a fire, man? <laughs> Let's be clear about something. Nobody believes Arrow could beat Ra's al Ghul in a sword fight. There's one man who could do that. <laughs> He's got a hairy chest and pointy ears. Batman. Yeah. Um, you never read Batman Incorporated, right? No. Oh, my God. Morrison, like, he does this great issue that's just, like, a complete homage to, uh, you know, kind of Son of a Demon yeah. and and, like... The, the love affair or is it really a love I don't know is it really a love affair between Talia Head and, and Bruce Wayne oh, they have a kid right well yeah right so it's but I mean it, it, he just does it like, almost like panel for panel homage to it's, it's Neil Adams right to sure. to the Neil Adams era but like with his modern costume and stuff yeah. like because it, it's reimagined for the new 52 the dude is, is cray cray good but anyway what I want to say about Flash in the 90s I thought there were about three really... I was like an avid comic super fan then. I don't know if you could have guessed that I was an avid comic super fan. But I I spent like all my... All my allowance money pretty much went into comic books. That's how I got into magic, right? So a comic book store that I went to sold magic cards. Yeah, so... uh, And I would say around this era, or call it around 93, I'd say, there were like three like super outstanding books that I look forward to every month. That was Flash. I, I think of Flash and Impulse as being basically the same book, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So Flash, Flash, Impulse, um, Starman, and Preacher, right? Sure. And Preacher's this incredibly irreverent book, which is just like, I mean, the, the execution by Steve Dillon. The, just, I love Steve Dillon's book. It, it's, 
and you know, Vaughn's Vaughn's always told me that Garth Garth Ennis is just the best comic book writer ever, and that he just chooses to be great or not great depending on his mood almost. And like, and his evidence for this is read two consecutive pages of Preacher. There is no writer who would be able to to swing you to this level of tender lovingness followed by this level of depravity in a one page and no one's even ever tried the guy's completely completely a master of this and then just most of the time he's just writing Punisher comics he doesn't care about right but then once in a while he's just gonna even the Punisher comics right like are kind of insane, right? But they're like, still better than other people. Like his Punisher comics isn't like the Punisher die and then become an agent of heaven or hell or something. Like Frankenstein him up. I don't know. He just he, he well, becomes like no, he no. becomes a supernatural agent. So right? like a heavenly agent or in, something. In when he came when, I, when, I he, when he came off of Vertigo, he came to Marvel uh, to Marvel Knights when Jimmy and Joe with Jimmy and Joe were doing. Yeah. But he, he and he brought and he brought Steve Dillon with him, and they did like between two and four years of goofy Punisher comics, which is like the goofiest elements of Preacher combined with the ultraviolence of Preacher, yeah, yeah. but with Frank Castle, right? Yeah. And there weren't a lot of other superheroes in it. They would just like go kill mobsters pretty much, yeah. right? And then Steve Dillon left to go do Wolverine or whatever, and he's just like, all right, we're going to move Punisher from. Marvel Knights, and we're going to move it to Max, and then you just this this like ultra violent military because he's also people don't think about this all the time because I think well maybe maybe other people do but I think of Garth Ennis as kind of synonymous with either Preacher, Hellblazer, The Boys, comics of this this ilk, but he's also the master of war comics, right? Like not since Joe Kubert have you had somebody who's just so incisive in terms of like war, enemy ace, World War II era comics, sure. right? And he just is paramilitary punch is completely different. No goofiness. I don't think I read any of those. Yeah, so he has a different artist on and they move it to Max, right? So it's like got swearing and yeah, yeah. gold teeth and boobs or whatever. And and he he just writes a completely different Punisher. And I I, I didn't read all of it either, but right. uh, his his range is is unbelievable. Anyway, but there are three three great comics. One of them is a Preacher is a reimagining of what a comic book can be, sure. right? So it's very different from yeah. anything else that's on. And then Starman is kind of an homage to a com- combination of the Golden Age and Kitsch, right? It's so kitschy, and right. it's like it, it's actually. I mean, to me, Starman's almost about collecting comics. It, it is right, and, and like the best parts of it are like, hey, what if you had this kind of relationship with your dad, but your dad was this really impressive guy, but you never got along. Right, right, or like you know, there's a, there's a comic book in Starman. It's about like there's a Hawaiian shirt that's a portal to another universe yeah, yeah. or whatever, and like it happens to be in his secondhand store, and he has to like fight this guy who's trying to get it, and then like it's resolved by he's like, why don't you just buy it? It's like five bucks in a secondhand store, you know? Like nobody, nobody. It's a kitschy comic, right? Right, right. And of these three comics, but then like Flash is just this unpretentious superhero comic. Right. He's like, here's this guy. He runs real fast. What are the interesting things I can do with a character who runs really fast and it's not it's not trying to be anything different and that's why I, feel, I almost feel like that's Wade at the height of his powers which is sure. an amazing thing to say considering how good Wade is yeah. in, in so many different it, contexts it's funny don't, don't you feel like if Flash had been like a reasonably good selling title compared to like the Marvel titles of the era yeah. Ringo would have been uh, just like snapped up in the image maybe breakaway yeah. like I mean he's better than some of and he's in the upper echelon well, of like the original founding wait, you wanna, image members. So think, think about the, you can't only think about the image founders as draftsmen, right? Like they're all something that's a little bit different, right? Like 
I think Valentino was probably in the right room at the right time when they decided yeah, to revolt, yeah, yeah. right? But I, the rest of them, you know, I was, you know, I mean, Eric Larson doesn't like me. Right, and I don't like him. Yeah. Right, I think I draw better than he does. I, I think <laughs> you're, I think you're a loon. <laughs> like I don't, I don't love his, I don't love his, like finishes. Nice. Yeah. His storytelling, his like he does. The, I, That's an exaggeration. He does some of the most dynamic pages that you'll ever see in a comic. Like whether in terms I said of that unre- or not, unrepentant, you would have still thought I was a loon. Yeah, unrepentant, like crazy comic book storytelling fight scenes, like people being thrown through buildings, a la. You know, Ben Grimm in the Fantastic Four under a hundred numbered issues. You claim that you love Savage Dragon, but how many issues of Savage Dragon have you really read? I don't know. Twenty? All of them? Slash two of them. There have been like two hundred. Yeah, I know. So I, I know. doubt that you've read them all. I'm saying that I don't think there's a lot of variation. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Anyway. Uh, I'm saying I like looking at them in the, on the, in the store. I mean, I think like... I don't buy... See, here's the thing for me. You know, you talk about like how you're binging... You want to binge yeah. Arrow? I don't read comics anymore. Like, I don't read comic comics. I, 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 I don't floppy. I, I Netflix comics now. Like, yeah, I will only, That's what I, I will do, too. Only, I will only read complete arcs. I don't want that kind of, like, frustration and incomplete. Oh, you don't want it to be, story. like, 24, right? Yeah, I, I don't want to be just waiting every week for every month, whatever, for the new comic to come out. I just want to be able to go and go, oh, people are saying really great things about Hawkeye. Let me go read Hawkeye. So I, I have like a twenty dollar a week budget on comics, more or less, that I that I do. But I just try to buy things that are that I can buy a chunk of at yeah, a time. Yeah. And I love it when things go on sale. If you get them for a dollar, then you could buy like twenty issues, right? Yeah, or if like yeah. there's a big, it's like when Unwritten went on sale, there was like sixty issues all for a dollar. So yeah. I just like put three weeks worth of comics yeah, allowance into it. Um, that's yeah, that's how I, I, wanted, I I've, been, I've been wanting to go on a. So you you, you know my my the, the secret age of comics. I don't so, you know, know you have Golden Age, oh, yeah, Silver. Yeah. You know, like, I, I believe that the early 1980s were the plastic age of comics. What, what, what do you mean, like, indie... Micronauts, Atari Force, <laughs> Shogun Warriors, Team America. So things that started off as... Toys. Yeah. ROM. He-Man. He-Man. Transformers. Tra- Transformers yeah. are really well-selling comic Yeah, comics. yeah. So I want, I want to go back and, like, I just kind of want to get a, a, you know, go on eBay, buy a collection. You of know, like, you could just write a book about this and people would buy it, right? The Plastic Age of Comics. Uh, it's a good term. It is. It's good. I want, I want to go back and buy Micronauts and Atari Force. Because, by, by the way, those, those two books had, like, the bestests in terms of artists. You know Mike Golden drew Micronauts? Do you know that... And you know that Jose Luis Garcia Lopez drew Atari Force? All right, well, nobody... I, I did know that, and I went back and found some of it. You, you told me this, like, ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. But um, uh, my old editor, Lee Nordling, gave Bruce Tim his first comics job drawing He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Remember they when you would buy a Masters of the, uh, Masters of the Universe oh, yeah. toy, they had a comic book in them? Those comic books in the back... Were drawn when, by when, Bruce Tim. When was that? What year? Nineteen eighty-three. Okay, that's probably before. I because Bruce Tim colored comic book covers for me in like the we did we did a, a comic called The Mighty Mites. Yeah, and it, had, it was like all like parodies of stuff. Like so, it's like a Dark Knight parody, and there was an X Men parody, and all the covers were colored by Bruce Tim. So Lee told me that Bruce Tim would he did cross hatching to begin with. He said, "I'll hire you if you quit doing cross hatching." Mm. That's one. And then he said he did these beautiful fully painted comics, but the fully painted comic he just did with Crayola markers. You would just like take it, like I don't, however he inked it, right, and he Crayola markered it. Like, yeah. And if you look at some of those comics, you can see like 
It must have been Creole there, Marker. There were, there were a lot of guys who would ink comics with Marker. Like, they just had to get shit done. Yeah. And they would ink with Marker. I've, I've inked Marvel pages. <laughs> yeah. Not all of them, but parts just of like them. Just like black. Yeah. Black fields. And, you know, some, you know, did some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I can't draw. I'm really bad. So, um. But I've definitely done that. You know, I, when, back when I was trying to be a comic book artist, you know, I, I went out with the, the Marvel bullpen a couple of times, and the editors talked to me about, like, who was good, who, like, who they liked or whatever, who should get work, and one of the things that was striking to me was, only on top of magic, uh, that it's so much easier for comic book artists to look good today than it was 20, 30 oh, years God, ago, yeah. because the printing is so much better, yeah. the coloring is so much yeah. better. Absolutely. So, um, anyway, Batgirl Avengers number one. We should talk about Magic the Gathering at some point. So, you yeah. want to do you want to explain to the listeners why for it is that you have not been around to podcast forever? I was at Worlds. <gasps> Worlds, you say? I was. I the was. World Championships. Yeah, it was pretty insane. Uh, I watched. I, I actually was thinking about taking like four days off to watch the coverage, literally, because yeah. I have so much vacation time accrued. Yeah. Oh, I didn't do that, though. But yeah. I watched some of it. It was... Oh, my God. It was such I watched crazy. Patrick close out day one, I'll tell oh you that. Yeah, he was on fire. I really thought he was going to win. That matchup is so bad. But he, the thing is, he 2-0'd Chahar in the Swiss when, then, to lock up top eight, right? Yeah. And so I watched he, that match, and I was just like, I don't know. This looks like a horrendous matchup for him. And then he, but, three, and then he 3-0'd Yamamoto in the semis. Don't, don't tell him this. I did not like his deck particularly a lot for standard. His modern deck was obviously the best modern deck by a mile. Which, which modern deck? He had the blue red Delver deck. Yeah, the only undefeated deck. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah, five zero. Yeah, 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 that deck was sweet. Uh, you know that that uh, you can snapcast your major treasure cruise for one. You can. Yeah. Oh, I didn't. I did. I did. Someone yeah. told me that there that week. This this one. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, it's unreal. Only only undefeated modern deck, but his. I thought his standard deck. In hindsight, right? It's easier in hindsight. First of all, I had a lot of bad matchups because the Sadisi Whip was the most popular deck, and yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. tough matchup for that deck. Well, like five, there were five guys on on Whip, right? Um, it's the most popular archetype. Yeah, but that I mean, it's hard. No, no, for, no I'm saying like just just from just from like that portion of Channel Fireball, like yeah. Willie Adel, Tom Martell, Shahar Shanhar, Paulo Vitor, and Josh Arter Layton all played that deck. So like just there, that's like. You know, basically 20% of the field and is... So, some is, of those is, players are really good. You know, yeah. Like, Tom Martell's the greatest greatest per-match constructed player in the history of the Pro Tour. Uh, I mean, do you not have Josh Utter Layton as a first ballot Hall of Famer when he's eligible? I think Josh Utter Layton is probably the most underrated deck designer in the history of Magic the Gathering. That's where I would put him on that. Yeah. He's obviously... Very, I, very similar to what I said about him in the preview. I think he's just the most underrated player in I'm the I'm not game. sure... How at what, I'm not sure at what level I respect his constructed game in terms of an executor on the table, because in my mind, the edge that he has from having a better deck than almost everybody else in the tournament is inextricable from his results. In the same way that I respect Patrick Chapin's ability on the table by by how much of an edge he gives away to everyone else from his, <laughs> his deck jobs. Just kidding. <laughs> so what do you think about? Oh, you know this? what I mean? Yeah. Right? Like, so what, what do you think about this notion? This is something that came up. Uh, just talking about like, inta- like some kind of intangible stuff when it comes, or, not, it's, or it's tangible, but some odd stuff when it comes to deck choice and performance. The idea that Shahar Shenhar now double 
world champion. First time anyone's even been to the finals. Patrick's been to the finals twice. It was also the first time, but yeah, know, first time anyone's won it twice. Um, Shahar doesn't have a pro tour top and it was posited that like maybe Shahar is someone who functions at his best in a completely known environment. In other words, like he is just he's like if you give him a map of standard, yeah. here's this very well explored standard format. He is able to like really make make some choices and decisions and has enough data in terms of repetitions of gameplay that he's able to persevere against the best players in the game where maybe maybe his skill set doesn't isn't as suited to a new environment adjusting to archetypes on the fly even even play testing with the best players in the world when you when you get to the pro tour there's still always decks you haven't seen cases you know matchups you haven't seen card interactions you're unfamiliar with i i have a hard time reconciling that the 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 yeah, I think, I've I never think, played. I think Randy suggested. That. I've never played Shahar, but everything I've ever heard from people that I'm good friends with is that he's a master at the table, right? Just in general, right? they respect his plays. I mean, he he he. I, I was very impressed with how he just matched Chapin, like blank for blank in terms of, you know, Chapin, Chapin all weekend long, right? It's just a blank slate at the table. It was awesome, right? It was the, it was the best I've ever seen him play Magic, without I mean, a doubt. I think. I think Patrick at the height of his powers. I don't know. Like it's hard to maintain any level, right? Like because everyone's so good, right? You know. Yeah. And even when you're when you're on, like maintaining that level of discipline is hard for anybody. Right. But I think Patrick at the height of his powers is more or less the best constructed player in the world, right? So he's just like someone else told me that. Oh, it was Chapin. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm no, completely I'm serious. Kidding. I'm kidding. So like, it, around Worlds '97 when he when he came in second the first time, right? Yeah, yeah. It's people just think about that, but he was on an absurd run for a two-year period, yeah. right? Which which included which like, was getting back to the pro tour. Right? Yeah, it was so, like, but it was first regionals. he won regionals, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he like won regionals. It's like that, that's like he puts his foot down. Then like he doesn't do that well in the in the limited portion of nationals that year, but he won the standard portion of nationals. Nobody remembers that because he didn't make top eight. If I had any ability or willingness to yeah. bet on a magic event, I would have lost so much money on Chapin in the finals. So because I would have, I, I he was my pick to win. Yeah. From round zero. He's, but just because of his wherewithal for wanting to wanting to yeah, just you know, accomplish this last unaccomplished but, thing. But it, it was it was a little bit of it. Like I mean, that's that sounds like a very much like he wanted it more kind of thing. But I don't mean it like that. I meant it more along the lines of like he understood the scarcity of the opportunity to be there. And I just don't believe anyone worked harder at that event than him. Do you think that the players like Paul Rietzel, Tom Martell, Patrick, who actually hold down jobs? Appreciate the ability to play in a way that's different than those who yes, are playing as their thing. Absolutely, yeah, I, think. I, I think I think for Chapin, yeah, um, a the the switch switch over from World Championships as a part of the Pro Tournament, yeah. uh, you know, the, the Pro Tour scene and like that kind of like on mass qualification, like you know, yeah. hundreds of people will be playing in it, and he'll always have a chance to be one of those hundred. I think that changeover, this changeover to being sort of a you know a responsible, you know card punching, uh, you know adult, yeah, uh, has certainly changed the way he approaches a feature match table. 
you know what I mean? Just in, so, just in general, just how you approaches that opportunity to play earlier. At the I was level. just joking about if Patrick gives away edge at the at the table by deck choice. I think that there was probably an argument to be made for that one time in the past. Absolutely, right where. He, where a big knock against him was that yes, he would he would spike it sometimes, right? Like when when he did Innovator Dragonstorm, for example, sure. he spiked it and he spiked it for many players. Right. Got himself a second. I, I, I'm not going to call it Innovator. I, there's a much better name for that deck. What, what is that? Gassy Knoll. Gassy. It is whatever. the best deck name. One of the best deck names all right, of so all time. Gassy Knoll. Whatever. A Josh Bennett masterpiece. All right. So you're farting out <laughs> Dragonstorms, um, but you know, but there are other times that. One of our, all of our, me, Patrick, you, one of our all really good friends, Patrick Sullivan once kind of put Patrick Chapin on the spot, was just like, would you rather have a top eight with a deck somebody else made? Would you rather have a top 32 with a deck that no one else but you could have made? Right? And a top 32 is real good, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's what, regardless of what the answer is, you can understand the context from where that comes from. But sometime, like, last year or maybe, you know, 18 months ago or something, he just decided that he was going to make the most of these opportunities in a way that he hadn't in the past. Right. And I think that when you combine... I, I really think that he's... When he's on, right, if he decides to be on, he's the most dangerous constructed player yeah, in the world. I agree. And you combine that with a complete lack of ego... Morality, whatever it is, like you want to say, like, emotion around deck choice, just the most brutal weapon I can possibly bring to the table. That's a dangerous combination for a constructive yeah. player. And, you know, there, there's only one person who can hold that at any given time, right? And you combine that with the fact that he is such a creative deck designer, he might just spike it again, right? Right. Um, but that's a uh, yeah. It, it, you just look at look at Pro Tour Journey into Knicks. No one else on his team would play that deck, right? He, he was the only one. But there were other members of his team in that top eight. Right? Yeah, yeah. With bug decks. And yeah. let, me, let me ask you a question also. Yeah. This is something else that came out of the world. So again, conversation with uh, with Randy. We were talking about how he feels, and Mark Rosewater also felt, like they were like, that to them, playing on Sunday at the World Championships should be on a par with, with a top eight at a pro tour. Which I don't I don't. Historically, agree. that's true. Now it's hard. That's what you're talking about. Well, a no, person no, tournament, right? What, and exactly. So that 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 was that's sort of my case, right? That it just it, it doesn't represent the same gauntlet. What what do you think about the idea of presenting masters appearances on Sunday, world championship appearances yeah. on Sunday? I don't know what other individual events approach that level of um, elite play, but. And actually creating a broader category, your Pro Tour Top 8s, which are final day appearances, but there's this idea of final days. I mean, I think that you can weave whatever narrative you want, and I also think that the narrative around Top 8s is probably overblown, right? Sure. Pro Tour 3, just to give you an example, Pro Tour 3, Brian Weissman, who's a, in recent years actually somebody I talk to all the time. I never talked to him that much when we were both on tour. Yeah. Which is weird, right? right. You know, one of the... One of the what does he do now? He's a game designer. Yeah. But he's been very active on uh, Make the Play Monday, Floors of Words Friday. I don't remember. I, I reached out to him because like, I, I just had this, like, some idea once, and he's, like, been super into it, and uh, we do stuff on control decks, card advantage, stuff like that. But uh, but Brian cracked his first Pro Tour Top 8 and Pro Tour 3 with a Necropotence deck. Before Necropotence was a big thing, you know, people didn't play it yet, right? Or especially in Block, there was, like, people were, like, 
oh, there's no Nevenerals, it's how do I get rid of my Necropotents? But people were still in this mindset. I mean, didn't Necropotents win the junior division of Pro Tour 1 and finish top 8 at Pro Tour 1? So Leon Lindbeck did make top 8 at Pro Tour 1 with Necropotents, but in block, and, and I'm Gra- saying... And Graham Tottimer but, won the pro, juniors Pro Tour. But the, the, I don't know if the elite players were thinking this way yet, or which something. elite players we're talking I, about. I gotta tell you, a week, a week after Pro yeah. Tour 1... John Finkel, the O'Mahonies. We're trying now. We're, we're at neutral ground with with Necropotents. Matt Wang was. I mean, you know, not the, you know, Matt was. He was a Grand Prix champion. He was. He was a pretty elite player at the time. He, you know, uh, we're all playing Necropotents. They had different versions. They had Dancing Scimitar. They had this. Sure, had sure. That, but you know. remember, though, we're talking about deck design for different formats and by, different by, eras. By the right? way, I have a new life goal. Yeah. Is to equip. A sword to a dancing scimitar in some format. I don't really care what it is. You can accomplish this. We can make a commander deck that has both of these elements. But regardless, the rhetoric on the internet and so forth at the time was like, the card that's not dangerous is is not Necropotence. It's Nevenerals disc, and you need to have some sort of way to get rid of your Necropotence. Sure. People thought that, right? Oh, absolutely. And in Block, they were playing like Despotic Scepter to get rid of their You know, they were trying these things. Is, is uh, Pro Tour 3, that's the only Rade one? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, Weissman cracks his, pro, cracks his Pro Tour Top 8 with a Necropotence deck. People don't even know that, right? right. The Only the top four decks were even published. Right, right. right. And most people think Olorati played a 62-card deck. Which he did Which not. he didn't. He did right? not. Right? Yeah. That's how... So, think about this, right? The, even the, even if you're talking about this, a foundational tournament. A tournament through which legends are born. Hall of Famer Olorati. It's the... Th- it's only the second constructed Pro Tour ever when one of the greatest minds in the history of the game makes top eight. People don't even know this. And the deck was for all. Okay, right? My point is, how, mis- how much mystique can we really have around top eights if, if, if this is if this is a... I mean, that's, that, that's, 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 I mean, if you look at any kind of uh, ongoing sports endeavor... Yeah. Like, it always gets better. It, 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 the, the, the early the early years of those of baseball, like the, the things are recreated from box scores. No, thank you. Uh, are recreated from box scores and from like crazy people having index cards that they kept all the stats on for years. And like, yet, I could tell you Leon Lindbeck's entire Pro Tour one deck from memory. Sure. Okay. I don't think that that's. A, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Like, I, th- I think the first year or two of the Pro Tour, uh, I don't think that it was fully appreciated by Wizards. Like, the, even the idea of deck lists back then. Oh were, yeah, they were scarce. Pe- deck lists were scarce. People did not publish deck lists. Like, I had to actually invent a clause <laughs> at my events on all my deck registration sheets that said, if you are playing in this event. And you make you, top eight. And you, you make top eight. Your deck list will be published. You may not withhold a deck list. By, by handing the sheet in and playing in this event, you agree to this. I remember. Because, because it was, so, and I remember, and people would beg. They would beg me, Mike. They'd be like, oh, please, I wasn't supposed to play this deck. Eric Ziegler did this. Yes, Eric Ziegler <laughs> won a grudge match qualifier with my junk deck, which all of us were going to play at regionals. And, and we were like, he's like, can I play your deck? He's like, he said, Josh showed me your deck. It's really good. Can I play it? And I said, he's probably not going to win anyway. <laughs> One week before regionals. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I remember this happening, Brian. He begged. He begged. He's like, please, He's like, don't Mike publish it. Kill me. Like, yeah. Yes, I remember. I like, it's not like Mike's still going to be talking about that 15 years later, Ziegler. 
I think I said those exact words. Keep in mind, Brian was the one who brought this up, not Mike. <laughs> it was a good deck. It was a good deck. Um, but I was saying, deck, deck lists back then, like, Wizards didn't even understand fully, like, where their stance was on publishing deck lists and what needed to be out there and how, you know. I mean, I remember, like, I was, you know, as big as you can be on Usenet, right? Yeah. You know, I was, like a, I was a big Usenet poster. And I would, like, write these tournament reports that people still talk about loving today. And write deck lists in them. Because my deck was a secret. <laughs> so I didn't write the deck list for the pile of bitches until after the season was over. I wrote, wow. like, a four-part thing on the dojo about it. Yeah. Which is, like, you know. Yeah, it's, like, it's like such a weird... I, re- I remember... You know, talking to Rob Hahn yeah. and talking about Schools of Magic and talking about Brian Weissman's The Deck. Yep. This is before Rob has written The Schools of Magic. You know, this is when he's still thinking about writing it. And, we're talk- and like, trying to find a list for The Deck. Yeah. It was really hard to do. It was really challenging. Like, you could, here's my approximation of the list, here's my version of The Deck. But like to f- actually oh, the find- idea of versioning decks was so foreign to me back then, right? Like, like the idea that you could find Weissman's actual deck was impossible. We would sit down at a tournament and somebody would be playing Greenwood Armageddon and Standard and like play a second turn Whirling Dervish or something. And be like, the Standard Kim School deck has two Elvish Archers in that slot. What are you doing? <laughs> that was literally words that came out of Altran's mouth when we were sitting at a table. Yeah. Like, Standard Kim School deck. <laughs> the standard Kim School deck starts with nine cards in hand. <laughs> Is that true? Back in the day, huh? What do you think about... I actually... I, I, you think this is crazy? I, I was at... Just like, saying he was from the store that invented the Lickin' stick. Yeah? Well, I'll tell you this. I was at the unveiling of Google Glass like three years ago, whatever it came out. And I said to myself... I would never want to have this, right? So I've, I've lived this life where people, you know, I'm pretty much out there and whatever in a lot of ways. But I'm just like, there's a limit to what, to where I want to, where I want to have my, my personal. Your public and, interface? Yeah. And this is it. <laughs> this is the limit, right? <laughs> the, the iron rail yeah, along the, the outside of Joe. What, what this I, is as close as the world can get to my What forest. I am actually looking at right now. It's the limit, right? But I was actually thinking to myself, you know, I have a, I have a, I have a pretty good policy with my wife, right? And I, I feel like if you have an integrated sort of, you can see what somebody's doing at any given time. It it destroys the fundamental secrets that are essential to a to a harmonious marriage, right? That's actually what I was thinking. Yeah. Um. So, but now with all the stuff that's going on, I'm actually kind of love the idea of like getting if not Google Glass some whatever the correct technology is right you know a few years ago Blackberries were the best yeah. they were the best smartphone a, go, a right? GoPro Velcro to your forehead some some sort of thing where like you can evaluate if your opponent was stacking because you can run tape on it sure. right and it's you know like kind of like a police body yeah, camera if, some, if someone goes out and builds the one way opaque deck box with a GoPro inside of it I will make sure it's put down in front of the right people at a tournament. You know, not to name any particular names, yeah. but, you know, <laughs> you have advocated that around someone for whom there is a bit of controversy these days. Uh, so, um, I actually think, like, wouldn't that not be great? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it, it would be great. I mean, I, I think that uh, I, I worry sometimes that the sort of court of public opinion doesn't know how to parse. Just, you know, someone played an extra land. I'm, I'm sure we've all played an extra land. Like, not necessarily intentional. How do you know when then an intentional cheat happens? I, well, that's what I'm saying. I'm just saying, like, I, th- I think that there's some, like... I think that if you stare at everybody long enough, or most everybody long enough... You, you can find, find you can find you can find that one um, incident, and then that incident becomes the define the definition of that person. Just the way the way the the, the court of public opinion is is uh, ruling these days. Eh, I don't like that. A, you disagree with me, or you don't like that? That's what happens. No, I don't like that. That's what happens. Right. I think that. I think that. Am I? I think that the TLDR version of what I think is that being significant, being important to somebody else, being listened to, etc., is a fundamental need that every human being has, and that some people express that need by some sort of, like, catcalling or trolling or uh, trying to tear down others, especially others who they feel have got a better slash undeservedly better station in some aspect of life than they have. And that's very dangerous. Uh, especially when you can really hurt somebody else who's put a lot of their time and energy and so forth into an endeavor. Because it, it doesn't cost... It doesn't cost the attacking person hardly anything, right? But it can cost the person who they're trying to tear down their entire life. Yeah. You know, that that's... Yeah. And it could be wrong, right? Have you, have and that's been, the... Have you been watching uh, Newsroom? This yeah, I watched it all. It finished I, I, last I, night. I haven't, I've, I'm only two episodes into this season. Maybe I should spoil it for you like you spoiled <laughs> Arrow versus Rajal Ghoul. You said, I know what's happening with everything. You can't spoil it for me. Well. Um, but, like, the, just the first two episodes with the, the Boston bombing and the FDA. Yeah. Talking about, like, the, the whole... There's a pretty intimate one in the episode from last week, but... I think we shouldn't talk about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Instead, but, should but we... Just so, do you want to talk about TV, though, in general? Sun's finale? Yeah. So, I was, I was, I've been really surprised by how many people absolutely loathe Sons. I don't understand it. I mean, like, you know, I think I thought it was the best show on television, pretty I mean, much. I don't think it was ever the best show on television. Really awful. Ever, ever, ever the best show. Like, there's, there's, there's... First of all, I like the Americans. I don't there's, think there's the Americans some, is better. I mean, I really, I think, Car- I like, it's nice to see Carrie Russell skin a lot. I think she's, she's shockingly she's, attractive, she's, way better looking than she was 10 years ago. She's ridiculously good in it. Yeah, like she's, she's good. It's a good show. Sons, so this is why I like Sons so much. For me, Sons is a lot like Newsroom. Newsroom taught, actually, Aaron Sorkin has all taught me something, so you, right? You, you know that, you know that Kurt Sutter wrote for West Wing, right? Kurt Sutter wrote a treatment for West Wing that was his audition piece to get on the shield. I don't know if he actually wrote for I West thought he, Wing. I thought someone said he wrote for he West wrote, Wing. No, he he yeah, maybe, wrote okay, a maybe spec I... script for okay. West Wing. Okay. So, uh, so, West Wing cracked my, like, long-standing sort of, um, I have, like, come from very politically conservative roots. Like, sure. Like, hopefully not idiotic 
you know, maybe a little idiotic. I think <laughs> it's hard to be super conservative and not be idiotic about something. I've known Mike for so long, yeah. and to hear him say this, by the way, is for anyone who thinks Mike is intractable yeah. about anything, this is like thinking the glacier never moves and then looking back and seeing a canyon yeah. <laughs> carved behind it. So I, it was, I literally would say that it was West Wing that made me think about things differently. Um, and What's up? Today, <laughs> and today, uh, you know, I, I hold some positions, I think, that are just out and out socialist now. And sure. then I hold other positions that are probably more conservative than other people. But uh, Newsroom made me re- completely rethink how the media works. And I, 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 and it might be heavy-handed to think that all the, prob- all the social problems that we have in our, pro- in our country are ultimately a result of the existence of Fox News. That might be an overstatement, but maybe also, maybe not, yeah. right? Like the, the severe polarization of our, of our society, I think, is prob- that's probably pretty reasonable. Yeah. But it is, it is a ridiculously deeply flawed show. What does that even mean? I, it, Everything is deeply flawed. Nothing's it means perfect. I want to. It means I. It makes me want to throw my TV out the window. Well, so give me some specific examples. Uh, Aaron Sorkin's hatred of women. I, I don't even see that. Oh God. He writes very. He writes. He int- writes. He writes some great women. Interesting but, women. But he also. But all the, the women he writes well, I think he's actually just writing them like they're men. Like, I just don't... I feel like... I mean, that's absurd, I, okay? I, I don't... There's no such thing as this is how men act and this is how women act. I'm just saying... Like, <laughs> Disagree! Men are men. I just... I don't, think, I don't think he writes women especially well. So, is this, like, is this like me saying that I concede that Jack Kirby is the king... You're crazy if you can can articulate a woman on a page. It's like that, except that you're wrong in that case. (laughs) Romance comic panels that I don't even know that Jack Kirby drew. (laughs) I don't care what you say. His most famous female creations are Big Barda and Susan Storm. And those were the best pictures he ever drew of one of them. Big Barda is not his crowning <laughs> achievement of bulkatry. I'm just saying, like, what other female characters did Jack Kirby create that are more famous than either Medusa. one? Medusa. Medusa Boltagon? Of the, of, the, of the Inhumans. You think Medusa Boltagon is a more iconic creation of Jack Kirby than Big Barda? Yes. Strong disagree. I think most people don't even know who Medusa is. I, I think... I think I'm... I like Medusa Boltagon. Yeah. And I don't know. Big Bar- I love Big Barda. He's yeah. a cool character. Anywho, I mean, I think Sloane Sabbath is a really interesting character. Yeah. But you think that she's basically a man? I think he. I think he just writes her. Yeah. He he, he just he writes her like the, the the guy she's dating. They're right there. It's supposed to be the same person. I mean, she's smart. He's dumb. Whatever. But yeah. <laughs> so, I, I think of Sloane and some some ways this is the voice of reason on the show like logic etc on the show right right or like this goes into this you know if we put this pipe into this slot and we put this here this is this is the model that we yeah. want to build yeah. through that makes her to me one of the more admirable characters sure uh, but you don't like how he writes uh, Mac you don't like Mac no you think Mac's a crazy head I, I think he just writes her as 
ultimately, for someone who's as smart and as accomplished, he ultimately becomes frivolous in the face of a handsome man. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, she. You know, and that 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 uh, and and his and I and I think Jeff Daniels is a stand-in for him. I think that character is supposed to be a stand-in for him, and he's certainly in the first two seasons a piece of shit in terms of how he treats her. So. I think that Jeff Daniels' character is a wonderful character. Who's a piece of shit. It teaches you the, like, the variation of how a person can reasonably behave, okay? Right? He's not a horrible person, okay? Um, he... All right, think back to a, a time... I find him to be a horrible person. Think back to a time a woman hurt you, okay? Okay. I'm sure that you can think of a time when this happened, right? You might have an emotional response around something like that. Sure. And he does, and he he doesn't always act in the best way, which I think most of us who've ever been hurt by a woman might also not act in the best way, which in my mind is an articulation of verisimilitude. But in addition, he's actually pretty self-sacrificing for her in a lot of regards, right? And very deferent to her ability and... Her intelligence and her superiority to him in some ways, which he's very open about. I think that I, I think he's writing. A, he's not writing a one-dimensional character. You can't just say that this person's a piece of shit. I, I right? mean, he, like, he 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 brings her there to torment her, not to not to elevate her. He he lets. But she's her, ultimately elevated. Ultimately, yes. But I mean, he's. I mean, look. I I just don't think I just don't think he. I I, I just don't like. I don't love Sorkin's approach to him. So. I, maybe, I, don't, I don't feel like he. I don't feel like ultimately he puts them on equal footing. Maybe this is me going to be the glacier that carves out the canyon again. Yeah, yeah. But I don't understand some of the criticisms that people levy at fiction in general. Right? Sure. So I don't understand criticisms of Game of Thrones around the idea of female liberation. In my mind, most of the most interesting highest agency movers and shakers in Game of Thrones are largely women. Arya Stark, Daenerys Targaryen. I mean, even Cersei and Catelyn are like, their decisions that they make have dramatic impact on the world, okay? Some of them, like Cersei and Catelyn, are very stupid. Or Sansa. You think you think of Sansa in a very different way than I think of Sansa, right? And there others are incredibly triumphant, like uh, Arya and Daenerys. I don't understand the criticisms that are levied against, against Game of Thrones around notions of sexism because this is this is what I see. Is that a denial of the fact that, that, there, that these things are present in the story? Right? Like, it's hard to say that there's a more heroic character than either one of Daenerys or Arya in the story. Is it, would you agree with that? I absolutely agree with that. So, I don't get it like, well, there should be more like women's liberation or whatever around around this. Why? Right? I don't think that's the source of those claims. Right? I think the source of the... And I, and I think they tried to address it a little bit this, this year. They tried to be, you know, they had uh, What's-His-Face be a little more omnivorous in his sexual appetites. The Red Viper. Yeah. You know, they, they tried to... You know, I, I think the idea is that ultimately what's put on display for the viewer is naked women. And 
some semi-naked men, right? Like, like the idea is just that the, 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 there's not the well, same amount of objectification of men that there is of women on the show. I mean, that's all. To, I mean, I think, to that be that's, fair, I think that that's the issue. So, I don't, I don't think anyone argues that there's not strong female characters on it. I'm certainly not arguing that. I mean, to be fair, right? I mean, there's also there's also the idea that are we both wearing black Chuck Taylors? Yes. Oh, nice. I'm wearing low tops with gray. Uh, I, I will just go buy a pair, so I will match you. Then. <laughs> um, I, and, I, and I think the other criticism I've heard a lot of Game of Thrones, and you know, I think it is probably just like, you know, just largely white, and you know, no, sla- slaves are, are largely of color. I, I wouldn't, I'm for, you know, and it's, it's I just, wouldn't necessarily argue with that right now, right? right? But what I would say is, from a from a societal mores standpoint. We tend to have a below-the-belt, on-the-front idea from Full Frontal Nudity, right? Yeah. From an equivalency standpoint, people find breasts to be visually interesting or notable in a way that they don't find maybe, like, you know, a muscular man and, you know, pectoral muscles and, and abs or whatever. But they're basically equivalent in their portrayal of Game of Thrones. Actually, more so, I think, in, in, in terms of there's so many, like, bare-chested men in it. Sure. But we just don't see that as being sexually lurid, sure. right? And... I, there's just no equivalency then. You just like if you had a show full of dong, right? like, do you now have to equalize it? With, right. You, know? you mean Oz? Yeah. Do I now have to be throwing hot dogs down, down caverns in order to in order to to, to create a position of equality? The, the thing is like, I, I, I'm not. That's I'm just not, what's visually interesting. I'm not, like, I'm, not saying, a, I'm, I'm not saying that. I, I, I think they do. I, 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 I've never had. I've only become aware of that through other people's criticisms. I certainly haven't had the experience. My, my wife loves the show. She doesn't think anything of it. Oh, She's my never, wife too. Like, I mean, my wife is very much of a post-feminist sort of thinker, though. She's like, yes, this is a. My wife actually say things to me like, "I'm a feminist," which you know, you can argue about that or not, but. Um, but the like, you know, I guess neither of us are, are upset about this. But I, if you look at something like the newsroom, the, the the way I look at it is just like, look, is there a legitimate narrative going on? Am I, you know, am I enjoying this? Am I learning something from this? Could I not plausibly imagine someone who acts like this? Right? I'm sure there's lots of women that would act, you know, more crazy I, I, than somebody I, I, I in this think situation. The idea is though so. that when you have a pattern of characters. All behaving in the same way along gender lines, and then that becomes. Does uh, it negate the enjoyment of the? It can. It certainly and it certainly can for. It certainly has for me, with the show. Yeah. Like the idea that he just writes these, like otherwise smart, capable women who become completely frivolous and, uh, you know, uh, I don't even know what the right word to describe it is in the face of a relationship is. You know, somehow men are still able to do their jobs. And, I don't know. I just, I just, it, it's, I, I find it to be a little uh, off-putting. And, you know, and certainly, I mean, certainly, honestly, I would like the newsroom a lot more without any of the romantic yeah. storylines. I could do without anybody walking into a glass store. I could do without any Sex in the City bus tours in the freaking show. <laughs> I could, so you I know, think, I, I could deal with that. Anybody hitting send all, right? Like any kind of like, just like ridiculous. Like those are all things that happen. First I of all, which is part of the reason why I it's understand. Fun. I just, you know, I would just rather have the show be some tape delayed, ver- com- uh, you know, drama version of the Daily Show, and just do away with all of that. Okay. 
Um, but I mean, so, honestly, I'd love the show to catch up and just become a dramatic version of the Daily Show. Well, it's more like that this season, actually. Yeah. So they, they, they were accelerated quite a bit. Um, the, uh, the topic we were at, though, is people hating sons, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So without naming names, which people are hating sons? They just they hate it? Like, I, I mean, just like... My, my, so, Steve Ellis, who yeah. uh, is a comic book artist who's doing the emergence uh, deck-building game art for me, and, and who I've worked with on those characters. Um, you know, he's he's a dad. He's, uh, you know, worked on, like, the Breaking Bad comics. He's done a lot of, like, comics for AMC based on their TV shows. And, you know, he posted something today where he was just like, you know, I tried watching Sons of Anarchy, and... Jax just used the word gash and to describe a woman and I just I turned it off I couldn't watch it it's just a show full of vicious characters well it was it's Chibs not, who did that oh Chibs yeah okay. whatever and the, so the thing that in the context though Chibs was doing it on purpose to get a reaction because he was I, trying to defend her I, life I, right? I understand I watched every episode yeah. of Sons of Anarchy I'm not I'm just saying like I, I didn't I didn't view them as I don't view Jax as a hero I don't view any of them as I think they're all you don't view even at the end of last season, you didn't view Jax as a hero. No, no, ja- Jax is just. Uh, you don't even. Do you don't think Jax is the best of a bad lot? God no. Really? No, he's a piece of shit. He's a, he's just a you know murderous scumbag. Like everybody on the show is just murderous scumbags. That's not true. Tara isn't. <laughs> I can name a bunch of people who are not murderous scumbags. Sure. Tara, Abel. <laughs> they all have blood on their hands. Chucky. <laughs> Chucky, Chucky has something else on his hands. Nothing on his hands. Like that. Uh, let's see. Uh, principal characters. Yeah, you know. Nero's just, trying. Yeah, I mean, Nero's probably the, the I mean, heroic. I mean, I mean, Nero is just one in a long line of people who got a little too close to Gemma Teller. <laughs> like, she could turn... Anybody bad. But but even through everything, Nero tries to be a good guy. Yeah, yeah. For a whorehouse owner. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I love Sons. I love Jax. I I watch it all. I, I, you know, I... Hold this a second. Did you not cheer for Walter White in Breaking Bad? No. You hated Walter White. I hate Walter White. I love Walter White. He's a piece of garbage. I don't... I try not to reduce human beings to being he just is, a piece of garbage. He it's is not a the, piece the way I of garbage. He is just... <laughs> just from the beginning. Like, especially even at the at the end of the show where, they, where they're going back and they show, like, he just starts lying to his wife right from jail. He is just... He's just never... Right, you know, like... This is th- the reason why I don't want to have Google Glass. It's supposed to be you like... Can't- can't have complete right, It's supposed to be this incremental thing that happens to him where he's corrupted. No, he just goes right to the lying. He's just not a good guy. I mean, that's fine. I have no problem watching a show about a bad person. I mean, but you think that... You think that, uh... Don Draper's on the same level as these guys. I mean, I don't, I don't think he's... He's not a murderer. The, I don't think he's on that level, but I mean, he's I think... He's a liar. You know, he's, he's not a, a good... He's not, he's not a good... He's not a good guy. I think he's a good guy. He's not a good guy. He would like to be a good guy. He may ultimately come to some sort of peace in his life. I don't know. I don't know how they're going to end it, but probably not. I mean, probably not. I mean, I think that the idea is... cynical about all of these anti-heroes, I guess. Yeah, yeah, you know, they're anti... There's a reason they invented a prefix. (laughs) So you think that Jax is... You think Jax is an anti-hero or a villain? (sighs) Clay is a villain. 
What's that? Clay is a villain. Clay. Clay, Jax is the stepdad. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, he's clearly the uh, I, th- I think Jax is, uh, how about a anti-villain? I don't know, like, maybe more anti-villain. Like, he's closer to villain with some heroic elements as opposed to a hero, you know, like, I, I would say, so let's put I, him on I, a spectrum. I just call him an anti-villain. Here, I'm going to give you a half a dozen guys. You, you put like him, villain, you, anti-villain, you put anti-hero, hero. You put him in a row, okay? Okay. Tony Soprano. We're going to draft pick? Tony Soprano. You're doing it. All right. Tony Soprano, Clay Morrow, uh, Walter White, Jackson Teller, Gemma Teller, Don Draper. <laughs> Worst to first? Worst to first, yeah. Uh, I mean, Don Draper obviously is the, the most benign of those so, cancers. Don Draper is the most benign. Brian David Marshall. Yeah. 12, 15, 14. <laughs> <laughs> Don, Don Draper's clearly the most benign. Uh, you got to put Jack second. I think Jack's might be second. <laughs> he is second. I think no Jack's question. Might be second. <laughs> He's up against Gemma. It's 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 Clay then Gemma. And then, I think Gemma is worse than Tony Soprano. No, 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 no. Tony, Tony Soprano has a code of honor. Here's the thing. Bullshit he has a code of honor. He, he shits all over that code of honor all the time. He says he has a code of honor. That's the whole point of the show. He says he has a code of honor. He does not. He does not. And I, that's, Gemma is just I, the worst. I'm, I'm, fine, I'm fine with Gemma being the worst. <laughs> She's, she is the worst. I mean, let's think about it like this. Which of them got their hands dirty? Jacks, they all got their hands dirty except for Don uh, Don Draper. You know, explosions. <laughs> um, well, Walter White, right? Oh, Walter. where do you have Walter White? Uh, I probably have Walter White. Well, Walt has the most kills, right? Yeah. If you, comp- if, you if you compare, Walt's got to have more kills than Tony Soprano. No, Tony Soprano just by virtue of his office, like he inherits all the kills up the he up just, the up the bracket. Yeah, but I think that the whole notion is, I think that part of the narrative of that show is that like. They do a lot of, you know, they, they're, they're criminals. They have a criminal endeavor. But they're not killing lots of people every episode. It's, pro- it's probably Draper. Walter White is killing hundreds of people. <laughs> like, did he, like, extirpated all those people in, in prison. Like, that's, like, yeah. more kills than Sons of Anarchy ever did even in, like, one episode. No. Right? What are you talking about? Did you watch this season? They had a lot of bodies. It was all monsters. Uh, so I mean, so uh, yeah, I, it's probably. Like, I was wondering where it was going to go. Right? Okay, there, there was not going to be. A, there was. I think there was never any point that you thought there was going to be a happy ending for Jax, right? Yeah. No. Not after last season. No. Have you watched uh, Black Mirror? What is? It? I've heard of it. What is it? Oh my god! I would like it. Yes, you're going to love it. It's six episodes, two seasons. You know, in England, I don't know if they know what so the word season. So it's three and three. Means. Three and three, uh, and it's basically this like. Twilight Zone style anthology show. Yeah. Uh, like six hour long episodes. Each episode basically tells a short story told through the lens of sex and technology. Right? The black mirror is like the computer screen. Yeah. And so it's all it's I like like I'll just give you the setup for the first episode. Yeah. The first episode, um, Prime Minister of England wakes up, his phone's ringing, and they're like, the princess has been kidnapped. There's a demand, and the demand is you have to go on live TV and have sex with a pig. 
it's very Twilight Zone. And it's like he's like, this is this is what you have to do, and the whole episode is takes off from that like high concept yeah. premise. There's uh, the second episode, Mike. You're gonna like. I guarantee you, the next time we where, podcast, where do I watch it? Netflix. Okay. Six episodes on Netflix. Done. I guarantee you, the next time we're we're just gonna talk about the second episode. Call five million credits or whatever it's called. We're just gonna talk about it. Yeah, you're gonna love it. It's great. People should watch it. It it's like I would say like it probably bats six six. You know, there's like two episodes that are a little clunky. Four episodes that are fantastic. Oh, it's way better than Doctor Who's batting average. <laughs> I haven't even watched Doctor Who this season. Um. I just accelerated to, like, the last couple of episodes of the season where they resolve, like, the major arc of the season. Yeah. And I, I back-watched them. The episodes. I, I don't like Peter Cabaldi as the Doctor. I, I'll watch I'll watch them, like, when they're yeah. on Netflix. Well, Christmas episode's coming up next week. So. Oh. Have you watched, uh, you watched The Hundred? No. I don't even know what that is. So it's a is CW, that a CW it's a show. CW show. <laughs> I can see this coming a mile away. Yeah. It's, it's Arrow. My, it's my third. Flash. It's my third CW Kill show. Kill Girls. <laughs> and the hundred. I, I think you would love it. Is it the, is it like Gilmore Girls meets mm-hmm. Lost? It's <laughs> it's like no. It's more like Battlestar Galactica meets done. Lost. Done. That's, 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 that's enough. Uh, <laughs> Battlestar and, Galactica meets anything. And uh, Liz Fair does the score for the show. Oh. She has to have something to do all day. Yeah. She, she's got into the business of creating music scores. Well, you know, she, like, made that Bollywood album and then got fired by her record label, right? <laughs> no, I didn't. So she makes this, uh, I think it's called Fun Time. I tried, when I say these words, you'll understand. <laughs> I tried to listen to it. Uh-oh. If you want to talk about Mike over the years, I mean, I was just, like, an adherent Liz Fair yeah, fan, yeah, right? Yeah. I was, I once asked, at the time, religion student, but now Pro Tour Hall of Famer Brian Kibler said, well, would it be morally wrong, religion for me to say, capture Liz Fair and make her my wife? This was many years before I had a real wife. Yeah, yeah. And he said, yes, Mike, I think that would be morally wrong. I was like, well, just checking. We are talking about Liz Fair, though. Um, I, I jest, but I, that is a real conversation. I yeah. So, uh, yeah, like a, you know, I super love Liz Fair. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. Well, anyway, she's doing. Yeah, she's doing. She's doing something scratch. I just thought it was a little extra incentive for you. Liz Fair does the opening music of the Top Eight Magic podcast, right? A little bit. Do you know about his Whitehall Street? Uh, Whitehall Street. Not yeah. even close. Yeah. To not. Here. Yeah. You want to so, get. You want to get over there. Get on the one. No. 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 Or actually, you want to go on the yellow line. Okay. No, you want to no, go. No, no. I, I was told. You're not anywhere near. You're not anywhere near Whitehall Street. You have Whitehall to go Street's on the, all the way downtown. It's way downtown. So you have to go on the yellow line, which is like... Greenwich Avenue. Well, Greenwich is over there. Okay, Greenwich Avenue and Whitehall Street is like at least 20 minutes south of here. I live near there. So you have to go go that way, go to the yellow line, and then there's a Whitehall stop, which is like the bottom stop of the end train in Manhattan. Only the Top 8 Magic Podcast. <laughs> also directions. That's the also, second time that's happened today. We're also Google Maps. <laughs> top 8 Magic Podcast. Also Google Maps. So, um... It's like Kibler Google. It's Flores Garmin. Flores Garmin. So, tell me about Emergence Genesis. We're funded. It's going to happen. We're gonna. It's going to come out. It uh, was going to happen anyway, right? I don't know. I was nervous. <laughs> I was scared. Uh, I was t- I was totally scared. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's gonna come out. Uh, we're we're like we were looking to get eighteen thousand dollars to fund the you game. Get twenty already. We're twenty twenty one ish. Yeah. Um, 
doing a demo tomorrow night. At Uncommon. At the Uncommon, doing a demo on Thursday at Montessee. If anyone in the New York area wants to come and, you know, try the game out, uh, I'll be happy to uh, demo it for them. Wait, it's a Tuesday night? It's not when their standard tournament is running? Uh, no, I'm doing it at the, oh, at the Uncommons? Maybe it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, that's good. There'll be people there. So there's a 26th of December is the Uncommons PPTU? 28th. Let me finish this. 26th. Okay. And I'm like, oh my god, the day after Christmas. I was so mad because, like, I've literally won 100% of the tournaments I've ever entered at the Uncommons. Yeah. So I was just like, ah! So then they moved to the 28th, and now I have no excuse because it's not the day after Christmas anymore, but it's limited. I got bad news to you, Mike. Okay. You aren't winning that one anyway. Why? Because I'm winning You're winning it? I'm You're winning join- it. You're joining Laniel Daniel? I am going to join Laniel Daniel, and we're going to do a podcast at the RTQ so, when I win. Laniel Daniel. Came over my, yeah, came up from Philly. Yeah, I've been texting with Dan Laniel Daniel yeah. about comic books all day today. He's, you know, he, people don't necessarily know. Yeah, he like loves buying physical comic books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just, like, he just bought like like all this Jim Starlin stuff. He's like, you love Jim Starlin, don't you? And I'm like, yeah. Like every comic I created in junior high school started with Cosmic, the <laughs> Cosmic Overseer. So. Like, so, Lan, he's always asking my comic recommendations. I'm telling like, which ones to read in which order, which ones are good, right? And so, he sends me a text. He's like, you were not you were not right about this Jim Starlin comic. It holds up. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, which what one? are you talking about? Let me finish. Like, what the hell are you talking about? So he comes over to my house. Plus, he's like, he's like, the art holds up. And I'm like, show me. And he, like, opens up this, like, page with the worst anatomy ever on like, Adam Warlock. Like, twisty-looking face, you know. Recolored for like modern color. I'm like, you think that holds up? He's like, not compared to modern artists. <laughs> but you know, you could read it, right? Like that was like when I said that that uh, Jack Kirby couldn't draw women, and you're like, they're completely recognizable as female characters. <laughs> What's your response? <laughs> like, oh yeah, sure. The greatest artist in the history of comic books also cannot draw a woman. I mean, by that token, he can't. I mean, like. His just human figure drawing is not what he's known no, for. Okay, look. Except for when he draw, when he draws Doctor Strange or he draws Reed Richards. Both of these, neither one of these guys is supposed to be a strong man, right? He draws Reed Richards kind of burly, yeah. But you get this dynamic energy from these characters, and they're like, "Oh, I'm, this this panel is about this guy taking so, action." So you're saying that there's nothing dynamic about the Invisible Woman? I think that I looked up a bunch of panels of her, and they're all of her disappearing. She's like the worst character ever. I love Sue Storm. She's she might be my no, that's not good. Barbara Gordon is my favorite female comic character, but like I really love Sue Storm. I I think she's a great. Well, she actually wasn't really that well realized under under Kirby. She was much more well realized under Byrne, right? Sure. Yeah. 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 Where she becomes like the original Tiger Mom of of uh, of, of superhero comics. Sure. Uh, and I mean, I love Sue Storm. She's yeah, I mean, she also steps out on Reed a little too. With Namor? With Namor. He's the Prince of Atlantis. <laughs> Come on, do you see his pecs? And the dude's costume, right? Well, I don't understand how Namor gets along with anybody, right? So he's on a team with Reed and and Black Panther, right? In the in the their, you know their, their secret team, the Illuminati. Yeah. I don't understand how he, he's his nation is at war with Black Panther's nation. <laughs> Literally, like have a blood oath to kill each other, and he is you know. He's, he slept with Reed's wife, for sure. 
In my mind, they definitely. I mean, like, she's like, isn't she like the ambassador to Atlantis for all humankind or yes, something like yes. this? Uh, from the that's from like the yeah from the Brent, Hickman, Hickman run, from yeah, the Hickman yeah, run, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't know. She's like, oh, I'm the queen of Atlantis from Earth or whatever. You know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like all the Grant Morrison Fantastic Four are kind of like, see you later, Reed. I'm gonna go visit Namor. <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, that goes all the way back, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, first of all, look at Namor, right? He's, like, the best-looking dude with the best costume in terms of, you know, catching a catching a mate. And, you know, if he's a fisherman, let's say. He's got those weird little wings on his ankles. And I got, guess they got rid of those, right? No, they have them still. They're he's still got there? But, like, he's, like, he's ripped. The dude, like, he could get a date. Why is he pining after somebody else? This is just, like, a random mom. <laughs> so it's like, you know who's a MILF? Susan Storm Richards. <laughs> like, it doesn't even make sense. He's the king of a it's, whole country. It's actually, I think, an elf. Elf? Invisible Ed. <laughs> but you know, what I, you know what I mean? Like, this doesn't even make sense. Yeah. Like, Mary Jane Watson exists in this universe. Um, I, I, I love anything with the Illuminati. Yeah. I just adore it. I haven't, I haven't read any of that. Really? Yeah. That's what Hickman writes now. New, he like gutted New Avengers and made New Avengers just the Illuminati. I, I've read I've read like four or five of those. F, I think those might be yours. Those FF trades. Yeah, they're good. I have those. No, I have to give them back to you. So, anyway, Daniel Daniel, he came up for Thanksgiving, spent it with my family, and he oh, just like nice. had a bag full of decks. <laughs> so it's just like I just take all my money and buy magic cards now. He's even playing constructed tournaments. He just had like fully made like Jeskai tokens. Chapin's Abzan deck from the Grandpa's Sky Token stack. Yeah, so that's what I was gonna say. Like earlier, I was you know I was making a joke. You know, obviously Patrick is such an adept everything at constructed, yeah. but it's hard for me to justify anything other than that Jeskai Token deck. That Jeskai, it's <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, I all I, I stare at that deck list and I'm like, how do we get two more Jeskai charms? I, wanna, in this I just want to, I just want to play that deck in modern somehow. Well. I wouldn't go that far. There's a lot of cards that cost three in that deck. I, I would I would rebuild it. Well, you know, that's what I'm just saying. You live in Japan it's just like, we got Jeskai Ascension way wrong. I think you want to revisit. Like, Jeskai Ascendancy? Ascension, yeah, Jeskai Ascendancy. I mean, like, the only possible rating for that card is just five-star all-star. Is, 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 is singularity warping every single format? It's like, the, in it's my like, opinion, it's the best yeah, part in standard. Yeah, so. it's, a, it's not. It's not. It's not like five stars. It's like five black holes. I mean, you know what I mean. It's just like warping well, everything around not, it. I would say it's not better than Jace. I'm not sure if it's. It's probably. Is it better than Tarmogoyf? I think it is probably better than Tarmogoyf, right? Like I think I think the decks that Tarmogoyf's good in, you could find some sort of like thing to fit in. Scavenging ooze, you, you could, could scavenging ooze, you could tomb stalker, you could hooting mandrels. Like there's all sorts of stuff you could do. Or Patrick just didn't play Tarmogoyf in his modern deck because he said it was the fourth best creature you could play. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, <laughs> so like every other creature you play in red and blue is just yeah. better than Tarmogoyf. You know, oh my god! Can you imagine Jeskai Ascendancy, Young Pyromancer? Can I imagine it? It's not that hard to imagine. Your strokes get really... <laughs> your stroke the flames? Yeah. Those get pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, Ooh. yeah, I mean, I've been playing that deck. The deck I like to play the most, I figured this is the deck you would like. But we haven't we haven't done one of these in a month. Yeah, I know, I'm sorry. Pearl Lake Ancient Master yeah. the Way? It's got to be your favorite deck. Oh, yeah. 
You know this deck? I'm, return all. You got like nine oh, lands yeah, yeah, in play. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. return all my lands, master the way you for twenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like the best, right? That's awesome. It's a. It's like literally a people talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are, are people playing that deck? I haven't seen it. I play it. Well, I play it a lot. Does it have I mean, any tournament results? No. Oh. I know the deck. I like. I know the deck exists in concept. I would, for sure. I would play that. I mean, if I could, I would test a bunch. If if I can get that deck to beat Jeskai Ascendancy, then I would play it. It's just, it's insane against mid range green decks. Right. Because like they just do. So, a lot of them are just interacting. Like the worst thing is they're thought seizing you. Yeah. But my version has like four steam augury, four four dig through time, three treasure cruise. So like. Yeah, it's cute. You thought seized me, right? Like we don't even play on the same vector. Like, you can just you can just play this game where you get nine lands in play. And you go like Steam Augury end of your turn, dig through time, untap Master of the Way. You play my tenth land Master of the Way. You and it's, it's just twenty, right? Or you can do like the Pearl Lake Ancient strategy where like you go Pearl Lake Ancient, go like untap Anger of the Gods, Anger of the Gods, kill everything, but not the Pearl Lake Ancient because he has prowess. Attack, you know, maybe Master of the Way. Uh, or you just get like you know, Pearl Lake Ancient Untap, Return All My Lands, Master of the Way. So, deck's insane. I think it's just like the insanely better version of the Black Blue deck from the Pro Tour. Yeah. So like, if you just like yeah, have yeah. this deck instead of the Black Blue deck, it just like does much, pretty much the same stuff. Instead of having Thoughtseize and Black Removal cards, it has Red Removal cards right. and Master of the Way. Yeah. Master of the Way just being ribbons and knight. No, Master of the Way is like upheaval psychotog yeah. in one card. <laughs> Slash room tonight. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I've, I've mastered the way as to DC before. <laughs> it's like <laughs> kill the hell out of that thing. Master of the Way is a hard card to play around, play against rather. Yeah. Because it does a variable amount of damage. Right. Right. Like to, you draw a card as part of the resolution of Master of the Way. Yeah, it does sweet. a lot of damage. It's, I think that card's very underrated. I mean, did we give that card a bad rating too? I don't think we did. I'm gonna go back. So, all right, readers. Yeah, my, my, my my two favorite decks to come out of Worlds though are both Sam Black's deck. He didn't make that deck. The deck was on Moto. Yeah, whatever. I liked it. Red uh, red white aggro. Red the his 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 take on it though, where where he positioned it was it was good. But, One monastery but, swift spear. But by far, by far, my favorite deck, which he is. Yeah, we use deck is just the stone nuts deck is standard. I believe it's a Kenji deck. Oh, yeah? I believe it's a Kenji deck. I believe it. So, um... You is just ridiculous. What I don't understand is why there's... What's the name of the Keldon Warlord enchantment? Uh, The Keldon Warlord enchantment. It says, like, XX equals the number of creatures and enchantments you have. Oh, oh, um... Idol on a Countless Battles? Yeah. I don't understand why that card's in that deck. You can't get it with... He just liked, yeah, he just liked it. It's just a guy. Yeah, it's just it's just like it was just like wrath resistance. It's a what? Just wrath resistance, just like board sweeper. Yeah, but resistance. no, but I'm saying it's not synergistic with Heliod's pilgrim. Correct. Right? Because like I was like I was playing this deck last night. I was like, oh, maybe I can make a make the play Monday out of this, or it'd be, it would be yeah. interesting. And I'm just like, I cast it. I can only get like Dragon Mantle. You can or or, or chain to the rocks. or chain to the rocks. I'm like, well, this seems. Not far less great. practical than yeah, I yeah. thought. Right? Like, yeah. I thought I could get my giant guy. Or no, like, no, 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 you can no. just get my removal spell, which, you know. There are a lot of things. I'm sure that Sam is right. Was, I was talking to somebody who was playing against me who was playing a red-white deck. I'm like, well, why do you play Evolving Wilds? Like, red-white coming to play tapped gain of life seems awesome to me relative to that card. Yeah. He's like, well, you need to have mountains for Chain to the Rocks. Yeah. Um, you need planes to cast Chain to the Rocks. So, like, the, the, the thing that about that deck is it's pretty... I think that there's a fair amount of play to it, 
but you get behind like a bunch of um, uh, siege rhinos, the red white deck. You're not coming. Yeah. yeah. Right. Where's, like, where's the, the Jeskai tokens deck? Nah. You could you could be on two life. There's three siege rhinos about to kill you on the other side, and yeah. you get him. Yeah. It's it's kind of that that deck is hard to play. Well, there's so many triggered abilities, yeah, right? Yeah. So missing triggers. I, you probably didn't watch the Star City Invitational Championship yesterday, right? Yeah. The guy who won in the finals, Dylan Donning, he's a 17-year-old kid. Pretty pretty good top eight. Sam Black was in the top eight with his red yeah. and white deck. Um, but he played... I have... It's... I'm probably... Probably Gadiel Slifer's... Uh, uh, Skins game Pro Tour Philadelphia was the last time I saw Never Say Die Magic at this level. So uh, there, were, there were two. Uh, There's a Japanese player. I can't remember off the top of my head who it was. Basically behind the entire match, all three games, it, playing the last round of Swiss. Yeah. That I was just like I would have packed. Right, right, right. 20 turns ago, and he won two of the three games. Yeah. He was, like, literally behind the entire time, just not dying, not dying. Yeah. Against much better cards. His opponent had, like... Oh, yeah, it was... Uh, Shui Nakamura was playing the paddle deck against somebody whose name was also Shui, uh, playing a white weenie deck. But then on breakers, he didn't make top eight. Right. <laughs> Even though it was, it was insane. Like, all three deck, all three games, he was way behind. Shui's got, like, Goto, Jide... Kiga, Maloku, and this guy's got like wax main Baku. <laughs> and he just doesn't die. And eventually you're just like, did his wax main Baku tap all the Maloku tokens <laughs> and go to? <laughs> and did he like use this other kind of spirit creature to like trick Shui into losing all the Jide counters? <laughs> is he gonna attack with like two white weenies now and get in for two? I mean, this is just can't win, can he? And then he would just not die because the wax man Baku worked so hard. Against that's a lot of work against a lot of Maloku. How, how about tokens. Baku? It's cold outside. Ba- Baku, it's cold outside. I think there are enough listeners of the Top Eight Magic podcast who have not been playing since nine, 2005. I guess. Yeah. Champions of Kamigawa. They, they might not get that. So, Baku. I don't remember what was it. Not baby. It's cold outside. What was it going to be before? Baku? Maybe it's cold outside. Maybe, maybe it's cold outside. I think. All right. Um, you want to call this one? Yeah, I got. I got to head home. All right. So, cool. uh, so you can like the Top Eight Magic podcast. Oh, you better like the Top Eight Magic on Facebook. Podcast. Uh, you can also like Emergence Genesis uh, Superhero Deck Building Game on Facebook. Which we'll put would be we'll sweet. put a link. And uh, Top Eight Games. And I'm five of four. And I have. I don't know if you've heard this, but I have a a new podcast with uh, Patrick Chapin, top level podcast. Um, it's a. It's like if. If top eight magic and next level magic had a beautiful baby boy. <laughs> that's 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 how the name came out. You can listen to that. Um, it's uh, not on mountaindeprived.com though, so I don't know if that's off brand to say. <laughs> whatever. Another podcast. KYT will never know. He's certainly not listening. This no, long. probably not. <laughs> okay. Thanks a lot, Brian. All Bye, right, everyone. Bye.